Welcome to episode 69 of The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. On today's program, our guests are Paul Pescador and Mara Brewer. Paul Pescador works primarily in photography, performance, and filmmaking, along with a little bit of writing here and there. And he just finished a film for the Main Museum about the history of Los Angeles. And he recently finished a film for the Glendale, California Gallery, The Pit. The film is titled The Pit, P-Y-T, for Pretty Young Thing, and it's a remake of the 1981 horror film on which the gallery's name is based. It ties back to Hollywood cinema. Whether I'm questioning it or awkwardly trying to replicate it or trying to figure out what to do with this thing, I had taken probably about a six-year break from making anything close to a film. I didn't even know where to begin again. It's like, how do, I, I don't have, you know, I, I don't even have a video camera, let alone a nice one, let alone a crew. Like, how do I even begin making something? Maura Brewer is a video artist who also works in performance and experimental fashion. She is a co-founder of a collaborative called the Rational Dress Society that produces an ungendered mono garment for everyday wear called Jumpsuit. She also makes essayistic videos, and she recently had a video up at Queens, L.A. about Paul Manafort's daughter, Jessica Manafort, and money laundering. To me, I feel like, well, because I'm a political artist, I feel like artists too often have been suspicious of being entertaining. And I think that it's a major tool. Like, I feel I, my art is political, and so it's persuasive, right? Like, I have something that I want, and I want people to agree with me. And so to me, then I feel like if I'm not at least trying to be entertaining, I'm, like, leaving a major tool off the table. Later in the show, we're going to hear a track from Providence Band, Landed. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. Paul Pescador and Mara Brewer, welcome to the people. Hi, yeah. thank Hi, you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mora and Paul, you guys both make uh, video and film work. Um, can you tell us about uh, some of your, your practice and maybe some of your projects, recent projects? Yeah, so uh, Paul and I make work, video work together occasionally and also um, individually. Uh, Both of our work is essayistic, I would say. Um, My work, I'll talk about my individual work, I guess, a little bit uh, before talking about our collaborative work. My work is dealing with, um, I, I generally will pick like a film, a Hollywood film, Um, and re-edit it and kind of reorder it and add voiceover um, and diagrammatic animations to make it sort of a film about something that I perceive to be a subtext in the original original thing. So I generally think of my works as being sort of site-specific to a particular uh, Hollywood film. Um, And I make them out of uh, an interest in a particular kind of feminist politics. So a lot of my work deals with um, particularly like white, uh, upper privileged, um, women in film and, uh, thinking about like the ways in which, um, uh, being a female is like, I'm sort of interested in a feminism in which you look at kind of like victimization and oppression, uh, like, or being a victim and being an oppressor as like two kind of inextricable positions. Um, so for example, my new work that I'm have been working on that I just finished is about Paul Manafort's daughter, Jessica, who's a kind of uh, 
largely failed filmmaker um, and has made a bunch of film like well she made a a long film in 2007 using uh, her father's money um, and recently came out with a second film Um, and so I was interested in thinking about you know since Paul Manafort is in the news um, on all these counts of financial crimes I was sort of interested in thinking about like the film like superficially is kind of this like rosy uh, cheerful teen uh, drama slash comedy, um, but then sort of like underneath it, uh, it's made with potentially made with laundered money. And so, what would the aesthetics of money laundering be if you look sort of looked closely at this film? Um, so that's generally the way that I operate. Is sort of like I'm thinking about like the film as a kind of symptom of something else, and how can you read it symptomatically uh, for the signs of power, or privilege, or corruption, or authority. Um, so, uh, so anyways, yeah, that's what I've been doing for many years now. And then together, uh, Paul and I make videos and performances occasionally on holidays. We both work a lot with Hollywood films, so that's been a kind of natural sort of fit, Hollywood film and television occasionally, like pop culture. Um, and so we'll make these films on holidays, and they're supposed to only screen on holidays. And it's there's a sort of thematic relationship to the holiday and the film and... Uh, we make a signature cocktail, which is also conceptual. Exactly. <laughs> um, before we go into Baltimore, let's give you a little background of myself. And I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth wedging all this together, which yeah. I think will be interesting. Um, Maura and I, and we both went to grad school together. Um, she was a year ahead of me at UC Irvine, and we shared a studio together. So I think there was a lot of overlapping conversations around film studies and trying to understand one's own relationship to filmmaking as a, I would identify as a filmmaker. I would imagine you as a video artist. Yeah. Um, strongly. Strongly. <laughs> or I feel the opposite. And I think sort of figuring out, you know, where, what is our relationship to, you know, Hollywood cinema specifically, you know, living in a city like Los Angeles. I originally actually, I started in film school. I went to USC um, for their film studies and it wasn't really quite what I was looking for, nor was I sure exactly what I wanted. But during that time, I wandered into the art school and started taking photography and video art classes. And here is a student who spent his entire life wanting to get to this point and suddenly confused, what, what do I want to get out of the situation? And looking at photography for the first time, looking at fine art for the first time, and sort of accidentally falling into something, which is, I think, a very important part of my practice which is the element of the accident or the failure and sort of what comes out of that process. Um, And I think the essayistic is an important part of my practice. It's one of the many tools that I use. Um, I'm interested in in narrative and linear narrative and how to disrupt that and figure out what do you want to get out of that and how, how can a story move forward in chunks and pieces and and allow things to sort of fall apart and come back together simultaneously. And I think even working with Mora in our projects will oftentimes produce videos that go back and forth, and I'm telling one part of the story and she's telling another part. Mm -hmm. And as a whole, when we're hearing, when, when the viewer is watching the whole piece, they're getting a better sense of the larger question, even if what we're both saying kind of contradicts contradicts the other. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're often interested in. In my own work, I recently just finished a film, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, called The PYT, The Pit, 
which was a remake of a 1981 horror film uh, made in Canada, which is not, it's, the original film is kind of terrible. And I think that was a really strange where to be. We both work with bad films. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes I think we do. And I think this was the closest I've made to a, a traditional remake. But I am really interested in remakes. I'm interested in watching things through the replication and watching through that process content sort of fall apart. And sort of we're left with this this structure and what comes out of that. So when I had reached out to the pit um, about eight months ago, I had recently seen this film about this young boy who sort of a loner type and he harasses girls in a city, in, in the town around him. And he sort of has a vendetta of the people around him. And his response is throwing them into a pit of monsters. Um, and there's something about it that felt really strange at this moment. You know, we're in we're in this extreme call-out culture, and we're also at this moment where there is a heavy level of of higher higher numbers of um, of, of violence against minority groups, as as well as an exponential amount of shootings. You know, school shootings, et cetera. And so here's this strange film that isn't really that's sort of taking on all of these issues. And I'm like, well. How would I, as a as a as a queer Latino artist, even begin working on that? And so I worked with the pit to shoot, to remake this film in the gallery with the materials that I often use in my practice, which are these cheap. Um, I would go almost as far as saying puppets, but they're not quite puppets. They're they're sort of an assemblage of materials that's almost become characters and form and through through animation stop animation and hand-drawn animation I reconstructed this film to talking going through the original storyline telling it through through a queer perspective and using the set of the gallery as a way to retell this kind of awful <laughs> film in the first place <laughs> yeah I mean I think across you know in both of our work uh, and more in yours than in mine but it's something I really like about your work like uh, the use of like trash like trash films trash objects <laughs> like provisional setups like there's and we were talking about this I was talking about this earlier there's something um, I think we're both sort of like voiceover artists in mm -hmm. some way. Like sometimes I work with an actress, but lately I've just been doing my own voiceover. Uh, and but like our our a approach to voiceover is totally different, um, which is something that makes it sort of delightful when we work together. Um, but your voice is so subjective and you play up the subjectivity of your voice. Uh, like frequently you're playing these sort of tentative, confused characters that sound lost, but it's also happening in like your vocal register. And I'm like very interested in like a, a, like a faux authority, you know, like a voice that feels like you're hearing the truth, you know, and, yeah. while it's saying something that is like not like a kind of bad math, you know. Yeah, I think, I mean, the joke I was saying when we were talking about this yesterday is I'm always performing a version of Paul, and that version is always sort of sad. Yeah. It's like, I'm sad. And it's like, yeah. it's like, there's something pathetic. It's like, there's a deliberate pathetic quality Ex to the voice. Exactly. And yeah. there almost becomes, there's, you know, in each of my films, are, whether I'm actually playing a character, um, doing all the voiceover and that line between it being, a well-done characterization mm -hmm. and it sounding just like me slightly changing my voice a little bit or even when I am playing um, 
more of the narrator and I'm telling it through my own personal perspective, there's always the character that I'm attempting to be. So if I'm, you know, I made a film about going to South America in order to understand Walt Disney's time in um, South America during World War II and his relationship um, with the U.S. government trying to, to build diplomatic ties, I'm performing myself as, as like a faux um, explorer. And this, like, oh, I'm this naive And sort person. of hapless. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And this element of, like, oh, I'm doing this process. And there's, I'm getting lost. And I don't know what I'm doing. And there's sort of this, like, sympathy to that. Yeah. To that naiveness. But, like, that is, there, there is, there's an intentionality to that. And, like, that's part of the building of the character in a way. Yeah. Whereas I think yours is, it's funny because it's sort of the opposite. There's this, there's this flat objective, like, yeah. attempt at objectivity to the work. And if you... Or like dispassionate, like distance. Exactly. Yeah. And when you start watching it, you're like, oh, like, this is really funny. Yeah. It's, it's, there's something really absurdist about it, both of, it's not, it's not just an absurdity of like, you can speak, you're speaking it with a level of distance that you can then observe the absurdity, which I think what's trying to perform. But there's also an absurdity to what you're doing. Right. And it's like you're using the structure of the essay. Like I wouldn't, you do make essay films. Yeah. But I also think there is this self-reflexive element of, you know, the history of the essay film, which at this point, you know, has, you know, 30, at least a 30 year lifespan. And so you're aware of every film that's come before that. Yeah. And then sometimes you're like, oh, yes, I am. The joke I kept on thinking about yesterday is like, there's there's an animation it's like this is a metaphor right you know it's like <laughs> yeah. like but, but but like you can then point that's the to jessica chastain drone oh, interstellar yeah. Yeah. one yeah yeah, yeah 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 that one's about metaphor yeah. yeah exactly and there's this element of it where you're like well i'm a metaphor but you're a metaphor no you're a metaphor you know, like, <laughs> it points to you're using these like i would call these academic strategies yeah and and on some on some level it is performing it is it's relying on these as the way to tell the the text. Yeah. But it's also kind of calling out the absurdity of those at the same time. Yeah. So there's this continuous and I think that that also comes out of using like very heavily pop cultural right. subjects. You know, Jessica you know, working with characters like Jessica Chastain or though Jeff though the general public might not know who Jess Manafort is, like yeah. there's a general understanding because of Paul Manafort's current relationship with with Donald Trump, like it's, it's in the like it's in the ether. It's in yeah. the ether. It's something yeah. we can, or even like or other works you made about like Wonder Woman. Yeah, you know these are these are topics that are that the general public could walk into. Right, and it's being spoken about in a way that one would read read an academic paper, but then it's not being performed like an academic paper. It's like there's a there's a there's a level of absurdity to the yeah. process. In the in the Manafort film, like there's a couple moments where like you point out like kind of a little random detail, and it's sort of like a symptom of a larger thing that you're doing. And and as a viewer, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I see. Where... But then you get to a moment where like the the main character is like breaking up with her boyfriend, and they're standing amongst a ton of laundry hanging on a thing and you're like see laundry right. money laundry and it's like yes so they're with you yeah so it's like it's kind of like it's very academic but then those those leaps are like mm-hmm. they're very real and they're even though they are kind of like silly or random or not arbitrary but it's like that 
you it's like you take someone there in this academic way and it it does it is like actually you know symptomatic of what was going on with her <laughs> life you know it's like i believe how you got there yeah. even though it was kind of as i think you said earlier bad math or something right yeah. bad math yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i'm a big fan of bad math um yeah i i think that i well it's also like i really believe it but i'll i'll start i do think that my work has a relationship to conspiracy like i'll have a thesis like i'll be like i think you know this film was made using dirty money allegedly probably i feel like i have to put an asterisk on almost that for sure oh, no. yeah yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> um possibly possibly mm-hmm. um and so if that's the case then there should be evidence of that in the footage right and so then how do you work backwards to prove your thesis right and you're going and because it's an artwork and it's full of all sorts of things you can find you know you can prove your thesis um sure uh that was the interstellar thing was that also i read an interview with um uh christopher nolan where the director of that film where he said that it was uh, the reason it was such a great film is because there was no metaphor in it (laughs) Um, because it was like hard science you know so i was like oh come on like and so i was like i'm just gonna wherever the first metaphor is that's where my video starts you know (laughs) yeah um so but it's like what is the filmmaker repressing like what do they what don't they want to admit about themselves right and um but i also think like relative to like um paul's approach also like like for me, there's like an ethic of being a video artist in Los Angeles who works on the garbage of other people's projects, like in the sort of like detritus of late stage capitalism. Um, and to me, it's like very important to like to re like that my works are a parasite on this kind of larger symptom and that you could produce a kind of count, like that that's an economy to me, um, that you produce a counter narrative as a political gesture, but that you also do it in this like aggressively economic way in which you, you know, Paul's like building trash palaces and galleries, you know, in off hours or whatever, you know, like, or that there's this um, sort of like performance of, uh, aloneness that I think is really important to me politically. You're listening to The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. Remember, you can find The People anywhere where you find your podcast. So uh, go download a bunch of past episodes and leave us a rating and review if you want. And also, I want to tell you about a show up at General Projects in Lincoln Heights um, by Jeremy Kennedy. The name of the show is Familiar Laundry, and it's up until January 18th. We have open hours on Thursday nights, 7 to 9 p.m., and we'll have a closing party January 18th. Um, It's also an outside gallery. We have a Swedish lawn game called Kube that you can come play out there. So check out the show. It's really good stuff, and uh, hope to see you there. Where do you find out info about the gallery? At insertblancpress.net. Click on General Projects at the top of the page. That's what I thought. So now let's get back to our conversation with Paul Pescador and Maura Brewer. Okay, okay. So we were talking... So we were talking earlier about the question of identifying as a video artist or a film, which is actually, or a filmmaker, which is actually a sort of, um, con- I feel like it's a contentious is question. It? Like, I feel like it's a way of, like, you know, positioning yourself or, like, declaring some kind of territory. And I feel very strongly about video as my territory. 
but you tell, but I know you feel strongly about film. Well, I think um, I think part of the reason for me is you know I still think of the, the the videos I'm making or the films, however you know we're calling it, as a continuation of being a film you know a film student yeah. and you know. In Los Angeles, oftentimes when I think of the word experimental film, it really is much closer to structuralist cinema, like using the materiality of like 16 or 8 millimeter film and questioning that. And for me, that feels really outdated. Yeah. Um, and so to, to label what I do a movie, I think I even, I think I prefer the word movie yeah. over the word film. I love the word movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it implies, it ties back to, to Hollywood cinema. Yeah. Which for me, I inevitably am interested in. Yeah. But whether whether I'm questioning it or awkwardly trying to replicate it or trying to figure out what to do with this thing that sort that sort of surrounds me. And I mean, I didn't make until grad school. I had taken probably about a six year break mm-hmm. from making anything close to a film. And I think part of the reason is like. I didn't even know where to begin again. It's like, how do I, I don't have, you know, I, I don't even have a video camera, let alone a nice one, let alone a crew. Like, how do I even begin making something? And I think it was a really slow, gradual process on figuring out how to tell, I hate the word story, because I don't think that's exactly what they are, but yeah. how, how, how do I make something that has a beginning, middle, and end on some level? Yeah. And where do I begin? And the fact that my first film, which actually we were shooting mates at the time, which was actually a horror film as well, sort of, sort yeah. of a horror film. You know, which was it was just a still set of images that yeah. were moving, and it was called One and a Half, and in my head it was about. It's funny how themes continue in in, a, in one's practice. It was about a potential relationship with another body, which was never present, and we see these conventions of film. You know, we see the knife, we see we see blood, we see these things, and they nothing. They never quite cohere together, but. By, by stating that this is a film, it needs to be read that way. It needs to be seen from the beginning to the end. And so there's these sort of rules that for me were, have always been important. Mm-hmm. And maybe just I've been surrounded by them for so long that I that I deem them important. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think we, the joke I used to make, like, well, I guess I can put a painting on a wall and say it's a, it's, it's a movie and it needs to be an hour and a half long. So, <laughs> so, so, so Which I told that to a friend once who's a fan. A, 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 film editor for a living and he was just like so looked at me so confused he was like but that's not a film that's a painting i'm like okay and, 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 and hence is the problem right and so for me calling like intentionally calling it that states it has the same value on some level yeah as this multi you know multi-million dollar thing that's being made you know on the other side of the city so it's about claiming authority i think so yeah 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 well and i think your work plays around with that a lot. I think once you told me that your work was just like sort of trash reproductions of other people's work. <laughs> so I remember that conversation yeah, very yeah. vividly. Which has always been like the most delightful thing to me. Um, and I think that like it, it is interesting as like because your work is deals with because your work is so subjective and because like you're interested in character. You're interested in character in a way that I am not. Mm-hmm. Um uh, it does make sense to me and that it's a little bit of an aggressive move, like making this thing that's like on the verge of falling apart or something and insisting that it be given the significance of film or like that that's a kind of uh, 
claiming of power or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there's also this fear, and I was actually thinking a lot about this when making the pit film, which is when it gets too close. Mm -hmm. And I've had this problem before, um, less when I make like the essayistic work, but when I'm making something that's performing like a, like a narrative film, like the pit film is structurally the same film. Mm -hmm. You know, we see these little figures, they fight, they talk, etc., And it it's using a script. It's not my script. It was a script that was written, you know, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And this fear of like, when it gets so close and it has to then take on the responsibility of an actual film versus when you're doing something that's more abstracted, you're sort of, you don't have, you know, you can distance yourself from from potential rules in a way yeah, or conventions, et cetera. And suddenly when you're stuck with these things in front of you, there's this obligation to entertain. Yeah. And what does that mean? Yeah. And is that a positive thing or a negative thing? And how yeah. do you even begin to deal with that? I try to entertain. I think a lot about entertaining. I try, you know, my best. Yeah. And I, and I think <laughs> to we... be entertained. I feel like it's a, I feel like, um, to me, I feel like, well, because I'm a political artist, I feel like artists too often have been suspicious of being entertaining. And I think that it's a major tool. Like I feel I, my art is political and so it's persuasive, right? Like I have something that I want and I want people to agree with me. And so to me, then I feel like if I'm not at least trying to be entertaining, I'm like leaving a major tool off the table. Well, it's also a teaching mechanism. Yeah. And I, I mean, one thing we, with your work that we've talked about is it's short. Right. You know, your videos are somewhere between seven minutes and 15, I think, you know. The, 18, the, the new one's 18. 18, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But, <laughs> but there versus mine. I add a minute every year. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Getting there. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas mine are much longer. I, you know, like, I feel really uncomfortable if the film is, at least what I call a full film, is under 45. Yeah. You know, I wanted to, to replicate the structure of, of a feature-length film. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that the idea of, of entertaining is really is really crucial because there's a, there's a huge level of seduction that can happen and we've talked about this a lot yeah whereas like how do we be how do you get the viewer to engage in something that they might not be interested like if you just sat here and be like let me tell you about this girl named jessica manafort yeah and and her dad's money like yeah well it's kind of interesting well no <laughs> it is but but there's this yeah. there, through through telling, you know, through putting it in the form of of a story, yeah, and the story of the film she made, the story of of how of how the money moved around, we then what the conversation really becomes about is like capitalism, right, and how that operates, and there's a through jokes, through through animation, through and one thing I think we both enjoy using a lot is I wouldn't call it B footage, like. The cut to something really random, yeah. um, you know, image from the in your in this film, in the Jessica Manafort, like cut to the movie Hackers, right. which has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just literally the word hackers. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> then it becomes a pause for a sense of either for a breath or a sense of humor. Or it's for like a joke. a joke that some people will get and some people won't. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Then we then can rope back into then well you know what are the video is telling one thing but it's attached to. All the all these other concerns and concepts that are occurring all at once. Yeah, and then the viewer is suddenly engaged because we're watching Candy. You know, we're watching them play the video game Candy Crush. Right, right, but, and that's pleasurable. Yeah. So more, so 
Why would you call yourself a video artist, though? Because I don't think yeah. we've heard you yeah. Yeah. actually <laughs> answer that question. Yeah, tell us more. Please tell us. You said you had strong feelings. I have yeah. very strong feelings. Um, to me, video is actually it's about a historical relationship for me. Um, I'm really interested in the kind of early days of artist-driven uh, um, alternative media production like Paper Tiger Television and Optic Nerve. And um, and so to me, video um, has a closer relationship to television. I know I work in film, so that's slightly confusing. A lot of my work deals with film, so that's slightly confusing. But I'm interested in um, dissemination um, and like producing something that has like some kind of circulatory potential. And so uh, even though I work with Hollywood film, I see my work more aligned with um, a certain kind of alternative media production in which there was like an idea that you could like turn on your television and then something like weird would be on the television in the home. Um, and uh, that there is a sort of like lo-fi digitality implied with video that's important to me. So so a lot of it's like material and like the material of like disseminating information. Um, and like I see that very much as analogous to, you know, the way that the Internet and YouTube and um uh, the sort of whatever the contemporary analog uh, to 70s public access television would be, which is probably like YouTube, you know. Um, so uh, to me, that's just an important, that's like an important history um, that I'm interested in being aligned with. Uh, I'm really, uh, and this is why I love Paul's work, but I'm kind of against uh uh, filmic production values in art. Uh, I'm like saying a lot of polemical. That's fine. I love <laughs> shit. it. But you know, I don't. I don't. You know, it's become like incredibly easy to rent equipment, um, especially in Los Angeles, to rent equipment to work with um, to work with people who are in the film industry uh, and are professionals and produce. I mean, ask Jessica Manafort, right? Like if you have money, it's like easy to make something that has a certain level of like filmic polish. Um, and I am interested in like the opposite of that, like taking something that was made that way and like showing the sort of a low resolution version of it that's been scribbled with uh, conspiratorial diagrams. I think it all comes to, I mean, on some level, I think it all comes down to the loop. Yeah. Versus the event. Yeah. And I think there is this element. Uh, this is like, I feel like an early conversation we had even when we used to yeah. share a studio. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, I would never show a video on loop. Yeah. Like that just sounded terrifying to me. The idea yeah. of like the, the person needed to experience it. Yeah. Even if it was just a minute long, the entire event. And for you, like, no, that's sort of the best part of it. They can come in and go. And there's a level of freedom. Yeah. To that. And it, I mean, your work is very helpful to know the to entire... watch it from beginning to end exactly yeah. but it is linear i it I, is linear. I show my work mostly in looping formats but uh i screen it also sometimes and it's linear it's meant to be watched from beginning to end mm -hmm. yeah but there's an element of it that there is a dis it's i think it's a disruption you yeah. know your work it's and i think coming out of you know television in responding to television that it, it is that it's something you sort of just sort of stumble upon and there it yeah. is yeah it's and i think that is of the internet what for me there's some there's something about the, the experience that's really crucial. Yeah. The act of sitting in a room with people and, and watching this. In my, in my earlier films, I would rent um, movie theaters, mm -hmm. um, the, the Vista, CineFamily, and places like that. And mm -hmm. I remember when I was doing a screening at CineFamily, it was posted on the LA Weekly as, you know, 
set of animations. So people thought they were there to see cartoons. And <laughs> it, that film was probably the longest at that point. It was about an hour and 10 minutes. And yeah. the first 40 minutes was silent in black and white. <laughs> and you could just hear people move through. Their, you can hear people move. You can hear yeah. people get up and go to the bathroom. Yeah. The cough, that whole experience become... Like you're watching something on the screen, but you're also in the room with people. It sounds yeah. terrifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, as the artist, right? Yeah. It I was, mean... It was awful and amazing at the same time. And it watch, and watching someone seem really frustrated after, like, 25 minutes, get up and leave was sort of, like, victory and, like, <laughs> and failure at the same time. And by the time we hit the, you know, the final act, which was very, you know, dialogue-driven and people were speaking, you know, there was sort of a relief from the audience in that way. And so for me, that... I so... And I also do a lot of performance work, and I think it also comes out of that, the element of the live, the experience of watching it yeah. together. Yeah. And I think I think maybe it's a good time to segue into our collaborations, because I oh, yeah. think working together, some yeah. of those ways of working have been a great way of um, combining our skill sets. Yeah. But also, I don't say compromise would be the word, because I think, like, foregoing some of our our concerns, like, oh, well, how would how would that work alongside one another. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. You can find us every third Sunday at 3 p.m. on K-Chung. You can also find us anywhere where you download podcasts. So uh, look around and download a bunch of past episodes. And now back to the show with Paul Pescador and Maura Brewer. So I know Maura briefly discussed this, but um, for the past few years, she and I have been making collaborative videos um we think we made about four or five at this point and we've done a live performance and they've focused specifically on holidays and they are shown slash performed on the holiday that they're taking on taking subject on yes as well as we usually take on a single film yeah or television show three ingredients yeah film holiday cocktail oh yes and then the final (laughs) element is that there's a signature cocktail. And everything is linked. Exactly. Yeah. And they're usually all, the, the signature cocktails always seem to have an, a high level of red food coloring. They're bad. <laughs> they're yeah. Really, <laughs> sometimes better than others. Yeah. Some of them have been better than others, but they're, it's, they're conceptual cocktails. So, so, so yeah. the, well, why don't we briefly just mention um, what each of them were? Okay. And then we can choose a few to talk on. So, first one Father's Day. Yeah. And we did this at Human Resources, which is in Chinatown, and we took on The Shining. Yes. As and, and everything to do with dad. Yes. <laughs> and it was yeah, and it was on Father's Day, and oh, and of course the signature cocktail was red rum. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> it took me a minute to remember. Yeah. The second one was on Valentine's Day. Uh huh. And we did this at the Women's Center for Creative Works. Uh-huh. And we looked at two specific episodes that were back to back of the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, um, I think you mine was for, yours was first. Yeah, and what was the theme of that episode? Uh, mine was about the robot. It was the robot. The uh, it was the it wasn't the Buffy bot episode. It was um, a- April. I don't, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. It was about a robot. It was about a female robot and her subjectivity. It's like a sort of bottle episode where Buffy has to fight this robot who's been programmed to be the perfect girlfriend for this bad dude. And 
at the end of the episode, yeah. Buffy's mother passes away. Yeah, so it's a memorable episode because it's actually super, super sad when Buffy's mother passes away. It's kind of this light episode and then it has this really dark ending. And then so the one I took on was on the mother's death and about processing, processing of emotions. Yes. What was our drink, Paul? I can't remember. My bloody valentine. Something no. broken heart. <laughs> what was it? Bleeding heart. Uh, okay, but that something was lost to history. Something red. I yeah, mean, it was definitely yeah, red. We yeah. were in a red thing for yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah. they were all red. Uh, yeah, and then we did the Exorcist. Yeah, so we did. We showed the first two again. Yeah, and we showed a new piece for Easter at Machine Projects for a three-day weekend, and it was called the Holy Trinity, which is yeah. the Father, the Child, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we did the Exorcist. And then what? Oh, and it was what, the blood of Christ or something, something was the like cocktail. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Also red. So yeah. all all holidays are red. <laughs> yeah, evidently. Yeah. They're all about, about it. Yeah, they're all about blood. Violence. Exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. all about blood. <laughs> and then cut to about a year later, we took yeah. a little breather, and we returned to President's Day. President's Day. Yes, this was my favorite one. And we looked. That was a performance with a live video. It was a pr- live performance with video. Correct. Set up like a presidential debate, and yes. we did Scream. Yes, the movie. We did <laughs> yeah. the the West Craven movie Scream. Yeah, and I dressed up like the killer, and Paul dressed up like my victim. Yeah, of course. I was surprise, surprise. I was the victim. Yeah, and then that was the first <laughs> non-red cocktail, which was uh, oh, a white Russian. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we <laughs> thought and we thought of Scream because we were thinking specifically in terms of political apathy. Yeah, and thinking about. Um, Irony. Irony. Yeah. And, you know, I think for, for a moment, the film, you know, Buffy and then the, the, the scream, we were thinking a lot about self-reflexiveness. Yeah. And, and sarcasm and the idea that through that we could question. Well, and I think irony is a thing. You know, I believe in irony. Uh, I believe in irony because it, iron, like at base level, irony just means that things can have more than one meaning, that there's like an unfixing of meaning. That feels really important to me. You know what I mean? Like you can say one thing and somebody can take it one way or they can take it another way, right? Exactly. Um, and so that feels really important to me. Um, but I also was I'm also interested in thinking about the way that irony may can allow you to feel like you're above something or know better or um it can produce a kind of outside position that can then lead to a kind of apathy, even as you feel like you understand everything that's happening around you. It can be an emotional shield as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think when we were thinking of the film Scream, you know, it's it's in some ways wants to claim it's the last horror film because it's stating that it's aware of its own operation. It's talking about, Right. It's t- it's using it's talking about fear through the fear of other films. Yeah. But what ends up happening is, you know, at the end of that film, it produces a sequel, and then a third, and then a yeah. fourth, <laughs> and then a set of parody films. So here, irony at or ha- irony at some point was attempting to create. It was attempting to be a political move on some level. Yeah. But it actually did it did the opposite and sort of then allowed for the fact that it could not be called out. 
trapped. Right. Well, then the characters become trapped because exactly. they know too much. Exactly. And then the only way that they can be released is when they're killed. It's so sad. <laughs> exactly. We well, it, we and we started talking a lot about you know like the existential you know sort of like a Beckett way that the characters are continuously they're just stuck in the world. Yeah. And uh, and uh, the only way they were they could go as you said is like being hacked off. And yeah. What what would be a better way of talking about our current political climate? Yeah. Would be through the movie Scream. Yeah. 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 That one was really important to me. Uh, and then we did Jurassic Park. Correct. And for that... Mother's Day because all of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are ladies. Exactly. Um, and what was our cocktail? It was like mother's milk. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we're off of our red cocktail phase, and now we're in our white cocktail phase. <laughs> what was the impetus to, to structure it around holidays? Because it sounded kind of stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think yeah. there's something kind of – well, so we started this talking about looking at this f- film. What was it? Room – the shiny 237. 237. Yeah. And Maura had talked about this film to me. And I thought it was fine. But I think what I liked about it more was how Maura was talking about it. Yeah. So then there was this film about conspiracy theories around The Shining. Yeah. And there are certain theories in it I thought were interesting. But I also liked the way Maura was talking about it. And here we're at this moment where it's going through multiple reads. And now we're sitting here talking about the idea of something. We're like, oh, we've never we've been sort of circling around a set of similar questions. Maybe it's time to make something together. And how would we even begin that process? Yeah. Well, and I think for me, like the thing that's delightful about working with Paul and also is like a thing that I try to bring into my practice whenever possible is thinking about the work as a kind of game or like puzzle that I'm Mm -hmm. solving, like, like a game. And so like the holiday thing is a funny parameter um, there's a there's an element of absurdity because you're doing this thing, which is make video art, which is a pretty obscure thing to do. And then you're doing it on a holiday. <laughs> so it's like you're sort of taking a thing that has inherently a niche audience and making it like aggressively more obscure, which is funny to me. Um, and it adds like it sets up like a neat little set of um, conceptual constraints. Like the thing about a puzzle that's fun is that there are a bunch of rules that you have to operate within. And so it sets up it's a, it creates a rule set that's like just wiggly enough to be interesting and funny. And I think in, a, in that set, you can then throw in much stranger things along the way because it technically sort of full, fall, falls in. So yeah. we might be sh- cutting the images of, you know, the source film, but then we're looking at you know, what are the rules of this holiday? So in like, in the Exorcist video, so my part of it was about, you know, we're talking about the, I think I was the ghost, and sort yeah. of the ghost of the Exorcist. Yeah. And so, well, you know, we have this demon, but we also have, um, we also have Jesus. <laughs> and <laughs> and we can cut, you know, cut to, you know, images of that or, or dancing Easter bunnies yeah. as a way to talk about this girl losing her mind um, and and talk around issues around consent, yeah. which sort of became a, an important part of that piece as well. Yeah, yeah. I think the, I don't know, I, I want to talk about the Jurassic Park one. And part of the reason okay. maybe for that is I think that was in some ways the easiest way for me personally yeah. to sort of talk around what was happening. So when we talked about the Jurassic Park project, well, in, in many of these projects, my element is always through the personal. Yeah. I'm sharing a personal story, oftentimes from my own childhood. Yeah. And I'm showing, I'm using the footage of these films as a way to show the characters I'm speaking of. Yeah. And obviously it's not, it's not my mother or it's not 
you know, people from that point. It's the actors in this. So when I when I started thinking about Jurassic Park as a child, I wanted to make this play, and actually I still want to make this play, um, where I was tr- where I got. I was like a you know ambitious little third grader, and I got the Jurassic Park novel, not not the movie, which I enjoyed and thought was you know impetus for this. But I wanted to turn it into a play, uh-huh. a stage play with all of my um, classmates. Yeah. So I had this like you know walking around with this hundred page text, and I was just assigning every person in my class that they needed to re- rehearse this on recess. Yeah. And of course that doesn't it it failed completely because <laughs> no one besides me wanted to do that. Let alone everyone's like, how are you going to make these dinosaurs? And, uh, I was like, I'm figuring this out. It's all going to work itself. <laughs> this is like my first major failure, which I think is a success. And so we're like, okay, so let's talk about, you know, this, this my own personal story, which is, I think, about human failure um, mm-hmm. from a personal perspective. But then I knew that there was elements in it that, I, that Maura would find intriguing. Yeah. So then as we started speaking about it, you were talking about globalization. <laughs> yeah. And a white male anxiety. Yeah. The dinosaurs of the neoliberal age. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we start... Well, Crichton was a reactionary, so there, and so is Spielberg. And so there is actually all of the stuff about the nuclear family and uh, uh, anxiety around technology in that film that's kind of legitimate to that moment. It's like NAFTA era, you know? Totally. It's super interesting to think about it that way, for me. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, the Andromeda strain being like yeah. Yeah. the ultimate yeah. version of that, right? Yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. And yeah, so we're in this moment of the of the mid '90s, early '90s. Yeah. And you you see this, you know, this political anxiety. Yeah. And so we decide to f- to tie it around Mother's Day. You know, the fact that the the dinosaurs are all supposedly be women, yeah, being women as a as a form of the the men controlling the mm-hmm. species. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Do you guys typically choose the f- the film first? Or the holiday first. Holiday first, almost okay. always. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then we're like, well, what what could work? And sometimes it, it, the time. Because we just look at our calendars. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're like, okay. well, so we're current. I mean, we're currently doing. We're, we we have a theme, We have a holiday. Yeah. Our next one will be Groundhog's Day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're we're negotiating back and forth on what to do with that. But you know, like, what are the rules of that holiday? You know, what what are we highlighting? How how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a. Originally, when we had started thinking about Scream, it was going to be um, Groundhog Day and the idea of the repetition. Yeah. And so the, we have that element of it. So as we start brainstorming, we're like, well, what are the rules of the holiday? What are films that sort of incorporate that? What are the films that, that we've talked about together? Yeah. And then start working organically that way. Yeah. And I think the one thing that's really nice is if I'm telling, I start telling it through a personal experience, and you, as we edit to your section of it, um, your, yours is much more subject is much more objective yeah and you're telling us about this film how does it operate and we're going back and forth between the personal and the objective simultaneously well yeah i think that's why it's fun to collaborate because there because it there's a clear division of labor you know well and it's also like i mean it it in some ways like our work together is more classically essayistic than either of our work apart you know in that it it you can say like well what's happening in the early 90s uh you know politically or you know socioeconomically and then like actually and then what was Paul doing in the early 90s you know exactly. and so it it dilates between like the extremely personal and the extremely broad in a way that I think classical thinking about essay like that's sort of what essay as a form is supposed to do or whatever yeah 
And then I think we have this ability to then have an argument from two different sides, like in the Scream case. Mora plays, you know, Mora's playing killer. And in some ways, that sort of re- becomes representative of the president at this moment. Yeah. And so she's wearing a Scream mask and wearing a suit and tie <laughs> with sort of the tone of her voice is a little bit more menacing. Where oh, I, yeah, because we put the monster, uh, you know, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I'm playing the victim, you know, which is the, op- you know, uh, with the Bart Simpson mask, but also wearing a blonde uh, wearing a blonde wig over that. Yeah. So it's like, it's also 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, same moment, but like yeah. then re- reversing the gender and I'm speaking in a Valley accent the whole time. Yeah. So we're like sort of playing with the genderization, you know, thinking of the the pr- presidential debate of of, of Hillary and, and Trump on some level. Yeah. Um, but then playing with that, reversing it and sort of figuring out, you know, like this is our structure. and How, how can we get the most out of it? Yeah. So, I mean, where do we go next? You know, we work collaboratively and we also have our individual practices. Where do you see your ideas going? Yeah, I mean, I also, I see all my work as collaborative, whether or not it's, like, officially collaborative. Um, It's, like, really important to me to uh, think. Like, the collective art production is really, really important to me um, in general. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm on this Jessica Manafort thing. Before I started working on this Jessica Manafort project, I made a series of, videos about the actress Jessica Chastain and so you know it's sort of happenstance that I'm working with another Jessica although I do think of this as my larger Jessica period uh and so going forward I'm she made another film that just came out uh over at the end of the summer that went straight to video called Rosie so I'll be making a film about that as well uh and that's a sort of femme fatale kidnapping narrative great Um, So I'm excited about that. And uh, I'm also very interested in money laundering and plan to launder some money. Heads up. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Uh, So I'm working out the logistics of that, uh, which are complicated. And... um, but I feel like it's important to research. And then I'm also interested in the name Jessica, which as it turns out is a very interesting name. It first appears in Shakespeare uh, in The Merchant of Venice. And... She, the character, is a woman who betrays her father. I love that. Isn't that amazing? Well, yeah. So beautiful, right? And if you ever need me to put on a Jessica Rabbit costume, you, know. <laughs> you don't got to ask twice. Exactly, <laughs> on it. Like... I probably have it in my studio right now. <laughs> and I'm working on right now. I, I've been weirdly, I've been making these films that are close to documentary, um, historical documentary, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around why or how that's happening. Um, but run, right now, I'm making a film about the history of Los Angeles. And when I started the project, I stated it's a declaration of the entire history of Los Angeles, which, you know, how, how do you even begin with that? How do you take on a city that one does, refuses to remember its own history, but also is so massive and goes from San Pedro all the way deep, deep in the valley? And so right now, I'm taking on the concept of history and how does that wrapped up, wrap up nicely in a bow? And you're doing it through, correct me if I'm wrong, you're doing it through neighborhoods that you've lived in since you've lived here, right? Uh, that Yes and no. I had finished a film um, at 18th Street Art Center, which was about that. That's what I'm thinking. And that was sort of the, the first time returning to Los Angeles as site. And right now I'm expanding upon that. So I'm definitely touching upon places that I've lived. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of collaborators, um, a lot of people I've been doing interviews. I've done about 45 interviews. At this point, um, and so it varies from 
starting with downtown LA, which is where it's being shot at the main museum in their basement and expanding outward as I speak to people who have longer stakes in, in the neighborhoods that they lived in. And my role, I think I'm still figuring out um, how I function as a character, but I think right now it's, I am, I'm, I'm the citizen getting lost through the city, trying to figure out who and why I'm here and what does it, what does it mean to be in this, in this large city. That's Carly on fire. <laughs> well, Paul Pescador and Maura Brewer, thank you for being on The People. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, have a great day. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. Of course, you can find The People anywhere you find your podcast. You can find all the past episodes there. Getting pretty close to 70 episodes. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so um, go get them. Go get them. Uh, leave us a review or a rating um, or just tell a friend about it. Yeah, telling a friend really helps us out the most, so do that if you think they'd like it. Our theme song, as always, is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out with a song from Providence supergroup Landed, founded in 1997 by Sean Greenlee, Joel Kayak, and Dan St. Jacques. And the name of the track, Osama Oxycontin.
<laughs> well, Paul Pescador and Maura Brewer. More, oh, I'm going to retake that. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Uh, Apologies. Can't believe that wasn't me that did that. <laughs> Well, Paul Pex, Pe- <laughs> I can't speak now. <laughs> We're just going to keep okay, all I'm this. Sorry, I'm sorry. Keeping it all. Paul Pescador and Maura Brewer. Maura Brewer. I can't. <laughs> Paul Pescador and Maura I've Brewer. I've had one beer. I've had one beer. Uh, <laughs> my name is kind of hard to say. Actually. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's, not really. it's really not. But that's nice of you for saying that. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you.